feel led to take these next, uh, today and, and the Lord willing next week, to talk about the church and what is church, what does it mean to be the church. And so I want to start with a story. This is a Christmas story from the Bogdan 2019 Christmas celebration. So here's what happened. But I got to back up. Back when Dave and I, when Dave was unemployed and, uh, you know, we, we endured, you know, about eight years of literally living below the poverty line, and that's a whole other story. And so we made a lot of changes and stopped spending in pretty much all areas except toilet paper. And so one of the things... <laughs> Well, that's kind of important. We didn't figure out a good substitute for that. But one of the things we stopped doing was Dave and I agreed to stop buying each other Christmas gifts. Um, and, and it was a good thing. We had, we had taken that test, the five love languages. If you've never taken it, you should take it. And so we both realized that, you know, gift giving was not really our love language. Between, now, I, I don't mind gifts at all. I appreciate gifts in general. But between Dave and me, that's not our primary primary way that we like to show each other love, you know. And so we just realized, you know what, all these years we've been, this has been so obligatory and dumb because he would buy me these expensive Christmas gifts like fine jewelry and stuff. This was in our pre, in our past life, right, before we were in, reun, reincarnated as paupers. <laughs> and so uh, he would buy me these expensive gifts and I never knew what to, would he buy a man that has everything so I would spend his money to buy him something he doesn't need. And it was just such a joke. So that was a really good opportunity to reevaluate. Re re I can't talk this morning and say, you know what, let's, let's, this can be one of the things we're going to stop doing. So we stopped. For years, we haven't bought each other a Christmas gift. And it's made Christmas so much better. Better on our pocketbook. And I don't have the stress of what on earth do I get this man? Um, so, but this past Christmas was a little different. We had our family coming in from Alaska, and all the kids were home, and it was just a bigger celebration than usual, and I knew we were all going to be exchanging gifts, and I thought, this year, you know, I'm just going to get Dave something. I'm not going to tell him. I'm just going to get him a present, just because, just for the fun of it. And, you know, there was nothing costly that he could possibly need that he doesn't already have. So, I, you know, I just, on a whim, I saw this bottle of hot sauce that I thought he would like. And so, that's <laughs> like a couple bucks. Got him this little bottle of hot sauce. And then I got him a, a package of dried mangoes. No, no, no. You got your own from me, too. So, anyway, Frank got the hemorrhoid helper hot sauce. And... <laughs> That was from him, and then I actually got Frank's brand, and it looked interesting because it said honey garlic, and I thought, ooh, that sounds really good. I'm, but because of the hemorrhoid helper being so much better, we haven't opened the honey garlic yet, but I'm getting way off track. So I put, I put Dave's gifts in a little gift bag and put it under the tree, and so we're all opening presents, you know, and Dave opens his $2 bottle of Frank's honey garlic hot sauce and his little $1.80 package of dried mangoes from Big Lots. And, you know, and it's, oh, you know, it was just fun, like, surprise, I got you a gift. And, and he liked it, or at least he thought, pretended he did, but I, he likes that stuff. I know what he likes. So then he hands me a gift. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. We were on the same wavelength. He didn't know I was good. I mean, it's been years, right? Like, he's all, we're, we're on the same wavelength. He got me a present. So I pulled out the tissue paper, 
and I pull out this telephoto lens. And the, my kids have a picture of me gaping at it. I'm, uh, and I'm thinking, first, my first thought was, oh, no. I got him hot sauce and mangoes, and he got me a telephoto <laughs> lens. And then my next thought was, I already have a telephoto lens. I, he got me one for my birthday a few years ago, and it's, it's like, what, 800 millimeter lens, I think? 400? <laughs> Apparently, I don't. He's shaking his head. Okay, so I, my, anyway, I, have a, I love my lens. I love my telephoto lens. I, I mean, I took it to Alaska. I got these awesome shots of grizzlies, and you can count the hairs on their back. And I love my, so I'm thinking, oh, I already have a lens, but wow, this is wonderful and horrible. I got him hot sauce and mangoes. So, you know, I'm thinking, and then all of a sudden, I realized, I'm looking at this, and, and I'm realizing, Something's wrong. I, and, then, and then it hit me. Somehow I figured out this is not a telephoto lens. This is, in fact, a to-go coffee cup. <laughs> that looks like a telephoto lens. So then I, it was this moment of, oh, thank God. You know, but the, the weird thing was a few months prior, he had brought this home from some vendor show at his work. And he showed it to me, and I was like, wow, that's so cool. I want a telephoto to-go coffee cup. And so he put it away and saved it for me for Christmas, but I had completely forgotten. <laughs> I do have a point. I do have a point to this story. It actually goes with today's sermon. I want to talk about the church. There's a verse in 2 Timothy 3.5 where Paul is writing to Timothy and he mentions, he speaks of people who have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And I've been thinking so much about the modern American church and how it has a form of godliness. And not just godliness, but human effort. I mean, the modern American church strives to look so good, so authentic, so cool, right? We put a lot of work here in the West into making church attractional, attractional. How many seat warmers can we attract so that we can keep this machine going, right? And I've been thinking about that, and, and, and I've been just really thinking about us and who we are, who God has called us to be. And man, I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, God, I, I, don't, I don't want to have the cool church syndrome where we look so good and we've got some really cool things in place, you know, and, and we're attracting large crowds who maybe aren't there for the right reason. Maybe they're looking for the best, the next, the, the best Zoom, the next Zoom, right? The, you know, and, and, and they're looking for the next coolest thing. But wow, we really have no power. Like, like I, I've been saying, God, I know you want so much more for us. I know you want to make of this body of believers something of substance, something of real value, something of power, where the power of God is really operational and evident as we gather so that we, as we 
become in tune with the Holy Spirit can kind of zoom in to the spirit world and see what's really going on. And we can have sharp vision so that we can understand what God is doing. I want to be the real thing, the real deal, not some veneer, you know, not some um, uh, false attempt at what church is supposed to be. So that's been on my heart lately. And um, I, I've been thinking, what if, I guess I could title this sermon, Church Planting 101. See, when Dave and I, eight, seven and a half years ago, uh, when Dave and I were asked to take on this church plant and, you know, pastor a church plant, we did everything wrong. According to modern American church planting standards, we absolutely did not do a thing that you're supposed to do. We pretty much dove in head first, not knowing, and we still don't know what we're doing. <laughs> There's this one church, they, their, their staff t-shirts say, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> that could be ours, <laughs> Right? So we didn't do anything in the way that you're supposed to do it when it comes to planning a church. But I don't know so much that that's a problem. Because when I think of how are they planting churches right now in the other parts of the world where Christianity is outlawed, where they're being persecuted, well, what does that church planning committee looks like? You want to know what I think it looks like? I think it looks like this. Hey, whose house are we going to gather at tonight at 2 o'clock in the morning? And do you have an entryway where we can go in unnoticed by the police? I think that's your basic church planning committee in Iran, China, right, Afghanistan. I think that's how church planning looks, probably in a good portion of the world. But here in America, I know this because I grew up in the South, in the Bible Belt. I grew up in church culture, in American megachurch culture. And I know, what the, I know all the things you have to do. And I confess to you that for years... I was a classic church critic. I'd like to write an article someday called Confessions of a Church Critic because I moved from the south up here to the north to the tundra that is the northern church. And, and it's like all the churches are really tiny and I would sit there every Sunday and, and just name all the things they were doing to keep them small because I knew what you got to do to grow a church. And so I just know that, you know, this is the way it goes. If we, if we were a church planning, if you want to plant a church, basically what you do is, first of all, you gather on your team people that think exactly like you on all the points. You see eye to eye on everything so that you'll never have tension. Okay, that's number one. And then you spend at least a year planning and building subcommittees. And so you come up with your marketing team and your publicity team and your, um, your sound and, and visual team. You know, you, you hire a kids' church director and a nursery director. And, and you know, you've got the teaching pastor and the hospitality pastor and the missions pastor. You've got like four different pastors. And, each, you know, and, and you spend a year advertising with these cool graphics. And then you have launch day. And then you launch what seems more like yet another enterprise. And you try and you work really hard to make it as attractional as possible. And you realize sooner or later that the very thing that attracted people there, which is entertainment, becomes the thing that you have to do to keep them there. However you first attracted people there, that's what you got to keep doing to, enter, to, to keep people there. So you got to work really hard for the rest of that career 
to keep attracting more customers, I mean more congregants. <laughs> the American church. So I think of that and I think, wow, you know, if, if, if um, and, and then, and what you end up, there's so many analogies. It's, it's a spectator sport. You end up with this production that people come to and they watch, or if they don't feel like it, they can watch it at home, online, because after all, church is all about the sermon, right? And the cool worship band, and that's it. So you come and you watch, and then you go home. Maybe nobody has any idea what you're going through. Maybe you left or turned off the live streaming exactly in the same state you were when you arrived. Nothing ever changes. There's no fellowship. There's no mystical union with the body of Christ. There's, there's no um, participation, no sharing. Y you know, there's, there's no real dynamic, life-changing relationships within the body of Christ. In other words, church isn't actually happening. You've just watched some show by someone who feels this tremendous pressure to perform a service, to perform a service. And if you get tired of the service at that joint, then you go find a place where the service is better. You see the play on words there? I was trying to find the little skit that we did at the old building. Uh, I loved that, and I, I don't know. I couldn't find it. on. It's, somehow it's disappeared. I couldn't find it anymore on YouTube. But basically... It was uh, two of my girls and a little boy who was attending at the time, and they had this restaurant table set up on the stage. And uh, you're, who remembers that? Okay, so not everybody. So, so this boy, he comes with a chef's hat, and he, he comes to take, no, the waitress, a waitress comes to take their order. And, and the waitress says, welcome to church. Welcome to McChurch. You know, may I take your order? And so they're ordering thing. They're ordering. They've got all their preferences. They're looking at the menu. I want a basket of jazzed-up hymns. Um, I, I want sermon light. Please go light on the scriptures, and please avoid the convicting scriptures. You know, hold the conviction, right? So they're ordering off this menu of church service preferences, right? And so the most touching part, and so the, the, wait, the waitress goes away to place their order, and they're talking, and, and the one says, thank you so much for bringing me here. I've been wanting to try out this place for so long because people keep talking about it. Thank you for bringing me here. And she says, yeah, for a while I was going to McChurch over there, but, you know, I didn't like their kids' program, and so now I'm coming here, and we'll, we'll just, we'll see, how, you know, I want you to see what you think, you know. And, and they're all talking as if they're in this restaurant, and the most touching part for me is at the end, the chef comes out. He's the pastor. He's got this big chef hat and the apron. He comes out, and, and he, he says, he says, um, uh, you know, the, one of the girls, one of the customers says, ooh, you're the chef. I've heard all about you. Um, I can't wait to, to see what you're serving up today. And he says um, I, something to the effect of, I hope I can make you happy. If I don't today, please come back again and try next week. Oh, how I can relate. <laughs> and every pastor, every American pastor <laughs> Is that right? Is that what it is? 
Is this some consumer-driven service that we are providing where I am the service provider and you may or may not like, I may or may not fit your style preference, so if I don't, you know, you know, keep looking. <laughs> you know, I, I just feel like when I look in the scripture, and let's do that today, Father, where, where did we go wrong? I think you know where we went wrong is we just stopped reading this. You know what we started reading, us pastors in America? We started reading the news feed. Right now, if you look on my Facebook news feed, I guarantee you, you will see about 10 advertisements, how to grow your church, some program I'm supposed to sign up for to tell me how to grow my church. When we started reading that and not this, no wonder pastors have an extremely high rate of burnout depression, and anxiety. And one out of 10 pastors will actually retire preaching. We're killing ourselves trying to keep this machine going that God never, never ordained. We've got an empty to-go cup. Little value, little substance. Looks really good, really cool, really attractional. But where's the power of God? Where's the life-changing power of God? So that's where uh, my heart is dwelling these days on, God, who do you want us to be? And remind us of that and let us take hold of that. And so since Dave and I never really formed a church planning committee like you're supposed to, <laughs> quote unquote, you know, we did, we did let's do that today. And what I'd like to do is have you all be a part of that church planning committee. Sound good? Okay. So now let's look at the proper manual, the actual original church planting manual that we're supposed to follow. Let's look at that together and imagine, okay, here we are, God. Who do you want us to be? And let's together as one body of Christ look at this and say, God, who do you want us to be? So Acts 2, this is, this is the first church, planting of the church. Let's see what it looks like. First of all, we notice in Acts chapter 2, uh, the day of Pentecost, which is still a feast that the Jews celebrate, but it was actually the birthday of the Christian church. We read about that in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Two elements to notice. First of all, they were with one accord. That does not mean that they saw eye to eye on every little thing. This may really disappoint you, but it doesn't even mean they voted the same way in the elections. I'm so sorry if that ruins your day. What it does mean is they were of one mind concerning Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. That was their common ground of one mind. And they decided, you know what? We're going to put our differences aside and we are going to come together in unity, not uniformity. That's very different. That means you look and sound the same. We're going to come together in unity for the purpose of worship, worship, 
and, and the things that we're going to talk about, these four elements of the early church. So they were of one accord and in one place. Notice they were in one place. That means they were not all sitting at home watching the service online. That's not bad. It's not bad, but church is a corporate gathering. It's a physical gathering by definition. So they were in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, and now they were praying. You have to know that. They were all together in one place. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And it goes on to, to talk about how the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them in a fresh new way. And that was the first evidence of, of speaking in tongues. If That's another sermon, but if you want to know about that, please take, I have a brochure in the back that I wrote all explaining all about what that means. I would encourage you to please read that. But basically, what the purpose of that on that day was God enabled them to go out into the streets of Jerusalem. The streets were filled with people from all over speaking all different languages because they had taken pilgrimage there to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. So God enabled, enabled the disciples supernaturally to preach the gospel, the message of the, the risen Christ in each one's language. That's what that was for. It was a supernatural utterance. So anyway, I want you to notice, first of all, that the church, the, you could say the very church planning, church plant planning committee was a, simply a gathering of people praying, unified believers praying. Prayer is the foundation of this church. It has to be. Six of us gathered Friday night for our monthly prayer meeting. I would never force an experiment on anyone, but I can't help but wonder and imagine what would happen if all, if all of us showed up just for the purpose of prayer, lifting up this community, lifting up the people in this church body, begging God, asking him to come and show his power and move in our midst in a mighty new... I just can imagine what would happen if we made prayer a priority, if we made prayer the first priority of this church. So prayer is foundational to the church. Because you would never set out to build something without first consulting the blueprints and the, gen and the uh, general contractor, would you not? And so that's what happens if you set out to build a church without prayer. It's, you end up directionless and powerless, and you end up looking very much like this. Okay, so the first thing was they prayed, they gathered for prayer. And then I want to move to Acts 2. So what happened was as a result of us proclaiming the message on the streets, the people started listening, they gathered to listen, and Peter stood up and preached the very first church sermon. And 3,000 people gladly received what he had to say and were saved. They, came to the, they gave their hearts to the Lord. They gave their lives to the Lord. They were converted by a simple message whereby Peter took their scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures of these Jews, he, he took their prophets and he showed them from their own scriptures that that was all pointing to Christ. And he said, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead. And it said they were cut to the heart. And they said, what must we do to be saved? 3,000 people got saved in the, in the world's first church service. Amazing. You notice 
There was no cool factor. There was no advertising, no marketing, (laughs) no promotion. There wasn't even a building. There was not even a building. There was no church planning committee. They simply prayed and then preached the word. And God grew the church. Amazing. That is biblical church planting 101. So then what happened as a result? Acts 2.42 Acts 2.40, I'm going to start with Acts 2.40. Still speaking of Peter's first sermon, it says, With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. It still is a crooked generation, isn't it? Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. We must always keep in mind every person like those individuals Frank was talking about this week. It's not just a body. It's a soul. It's an eternal soul. 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly, that means consistently, very important word, in, now I want to look at right here in this verse, four elements of church. If someone were to ask me, what is church? I would say it's basically four elements. And so let's examine ourselves. God, are we doing this? They continued, uh, verse 42, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Four elements. Doctrine literally translated as simply teaching. That's what I'm doing right now. I think we have that. We have the teaching of the word here. We have it on Sunday morning, and we have it on Wednesday night. Excellent. I cannot even, it's, I could not over-promote Wednesday night. Robert, if you, wanna, if you really want to grow, I would encourage you to come Wednesday nights. Robert Morris is such an excellent teacher. So the teaching of the word was the first element, and then Fellowship. This is a Greek word, koinonia. It literally means participation, partnership, and sharing. But it's a very authentic participation. It is coming together and being our true selves among one another. It's coming together with so much love and trust for each other that we are willing to make ourselves vulnerable with each other. We're not coming and putting up, putting on some face, putting on our church face. How are you? Fine. Praise the Lord. I remember someone, he answered everything with praise the Lord. Everything. Like, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I always thought, do you ever say anything else? This was years ago. So that's not koinonia. Koinonia is authentic sharing of our truest selves with each other so that I don't mind letting you know that I'm very human. And I make every bit as many mistakes. I'm every bit as human as you are. And so we're willing to be transparent with each other. We're willing to acknowledge our need for a Savior. And we're willing to be real with each other. That's fellowship. They had that kind of relationship in the church. It wasn't all about um, 
okay, how can I get up here and preach a very clever and impressive sermon? And then maybe I'll have everyone tell me how wonderful it was and how wonderful I am, and they'll want to keep coming and hearing me. No, 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 that's not fellowship at all. That's, that's performance. It's putting on a show. See, I, I, would rather, I would rather just be with you as family and say, oh, this sounds familiar. We are in this together. We are in this together. We are brothers and sisters. And Christ is the head of this church, and we are his body. And God is our father, Jesus our brother. He goes before us, leading the way. We follow him, and he teaches us how to love each other and walk in humility and vulnerability and transparency. That's koinonia, fellowship. So that's the second element. So doctrine, fellowship, and I think, now I'm, remember church planning committee. We are examining ourselves, and we're looking at the manual, and we're saying, okay, let's, can we, is this what we want? And I'm telling you, so far, I think we're doing pretty good. I mean, I hear all the time from people what an amazing, welcoming body of believers you people are. I hear, I've heard it for seven years. I think it's what we're known for, being loving, welcoming, genuine, authentic. So I want to commend you and thank you. I think we're doing pretty good so far. And then the next thing is, it says, in the breaking of bread. Now, this can be interpreted as communion. But I think, but it also, when you hear the phrase breaking of bread in scripture, it it means, generally speaking, having meals together. And I believe that's what it means here because when you look at um, verse 45, it says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I think that sounds like a meal. And so that's why I'm very big on on meals. I mean, I just want to have a church where we eat a lot. It's not just because I like to eat. There's a communal aspect to eating. And so when we gather for breakfast and when we gather for lunch, that is a vital foundational part of church because it allows, it fosters koinonia. You see how the one leads right into the other? So we have the teaching. The teaching says, hey, let's be in fellowship with each other. And the meal says, all right, let's practice being in fellowship with each other. See how they all flow together? Okay, so I think we're doing pretty good so far. And the fourth element, prayer. What do you know? Back to square one. So teaching, fellowship, Breaking of bread, that is sharing meals together in prayer. What, how are we doing, church planning committee? How are we doing? Are we good with these? Would we like to have a church in which these four elements of Acts chapter 2 are practiced? The teaching of the word, genuine fellowship with each other in person, gathering in a space, a place, sharing meals together, and praying together. I think we're doing pretty good. And I think God is going to honor that. So what are the, and I want to talk more about this next Sunday, Um, but what are the results? The next verse tells us what the results of this will be, because this is what happened then, verse 43. Then, first of all, fear came upon every soul. This word fear means awe, reverence, a holy reverence of God. 
When you properly teach the word, it produces a reverence of God. It's a healthy fear of God that says, you are so good and amazing. You are so good to me that I, am, I would be in fear of disobeying you, not because I'm afraid of you, but because I'm in awe of your goodness. And I don't want to disappoint you because I love you, because you first loved me. See, that's what a holy reverence looks like, and that's what it produced and the disciples. It was, it did, when you, when you do church properly, when you're properly teaching the word, and when you're in proper fellowship, being real with each other and honest with each other, what that produces is holiness in each other. It does not produce this casual, carnal living that says, ah, God doesn't care. He'll forgive me. I'll live any way I want, and God will forgive me. That is not the byproduct of doing church God's way, faithfully teaching his word and living in real community and communication with each other. So first of all, fear came upon every soul. That's the first thing, holiness. So what are the results? Holiness, number two, many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. The apostles, who has God called to be an apostle? Every single one of you. I preached a sermon once called Every Christian a Minister. If you are a Christian, you are a minister every bit as much as I am. And God can do and wants to do signs and wonders through you, through you. And that's what I'm looking for. And that's what I'm praying for. This is a natural byproduct, well, a supernatural byproduct of having God come into your church planning and letting him have his way and doing things properly according to Scripture. So holiness, signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Now all who believed, verse 44, were together and had all things in common. There's the third byproduct of church life, generosity. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. This is not describing communism. It's describing something that Barry said once that I really loved, commonism. It's just this attitude that says, hey, what's mine is yours, because you know what? It's not mine anyway. It's all going to burn. Everything I have is on loan from God. Whatever God has blessed me with, it's for the purpose of blessing others. So what do you need? And it says, it says, as anyone had need. So generosity. So holiness, miracles, generosity. These are, these are the products of doing church God's way. Verse 46 says, describes the outworkings of this continuation of the early church. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. First of all, notice daily. Wow. You notice it doesn't say weekly. They gathered daily. You know why? Because they had to. Hashtag Roman persecution. They had a real felt need for God. When you're desperate, you will show up to a prayer meeting. So continuing daily with one accord, there's that unity factor. And I love that it says in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. You know what? There's no right place to, do, to have church. They... 
there are so many voices out there just decrying and condemning church buildings, the local church building. I just wonder, like, do you ever read the word? Talk about man-made tradition. Jesus was in the temple daily, in the Jewish temple. Spiritually speaking, it was dry. Spiritually speaking, the Jewish temple was this, no power, no Holy Spirit. It was the reading of the law and then the shoving of the law down people's throats. And by the way, please pay your tithes on the way out the door. That was the temple. And yet the apostles gathered in that place every day. Why? Because God will simply find a platform. He will find anywhere he can find where people are gathered together. If that's an opportunity for the word to go forth, God will use that. So he uses the building, and so here we are in our building, in our temple. But it also says they gathered from house to house, and that's very important. And it says they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. It does my heart so good to hear that you, to hear of, of, of people in this, this congregation getting together in your homes during the week for fellowship and food. It just does my heart so good. I realize, wow, we're doing it. This is Acts chapter 2. We're being the church. Verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added, notice it says, The Lord added, not Instagram added, but the Lord added to the church daily. Instagram's not bad, okay? Just saying. I'm just saying, I, what I'm trying to say is, you know, I just, I want to realize, there's so many human, so much human effort goes into the American church, and you know what? It's exhausting. It's competitive. It's taxing. And, and I just, I want to enjoy the restfulness of letting God grow his church. Amen. His church. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. That's what the scripture says. So they were praising God, and I love that it says they had favor with all the people. Do you realize we have favor with the village of Wellsburg? We really, it's amazing. It's an, you saw what the dandy mini mart did. I got to follow up with that, by the way. We have favor with all the people in this village. We really do. God has given us favor, and I believe it's because we are being faithful to the way he wants us to be as a church. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Are you being saved? Yes. Hallelujah. Every single day. Being saved from myself, my pitiful, sinful self. I'm being saved, being redeemed, every part of me. And so are you, and so are we. Praise God. Is there anyone, as we close, I don't want to miss this opportunity. Is there anyone in need of prayer before we close? Yeah, come on up, Frank. What I'm going to have you do is just, if you, if you need personal prayer before we go to lunch, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand, and we're going to practice, we're going to practice koinonia. We are going to practice the authentic sharing of ourselves, because it's actually the Holy Spirit inside of us that we are sharing distributing amongst each other. So we're going to practice being the church. So if you need prayer before we close, just raise your hand. We're going to have believers gather around you and pray for you. Anybody? Is your hand up? 
I would think so. Okay, so let's put these hands out. We have Bev, Marty, anyone else? Could we just have some, anyone who's willing, come gather around these two, and let's just close by lifting them up to the Lord in prayer.